All right, happy uh, Stem Cell Awareness Day, everybody. Welcome to episode 55. I am Dr. Christopher Fasano. He is Dr. Yosef Gannett, and this is the Stem Cell Podcast. What's going on, Yosef? Happy uh, Stem Cell Awareness Day, man. Yeah, besides that, there's also that elephant in the room, uh, our old PI. He's a genius. Uh, he's a he's a genius. We knew this. We knew now this. it's just been uh, ironclad in stone. Dr. Lorenz Studer, the recipient of a 2015 MacArthur Fellow Genius Grant Award. Now, I think uh, that makes you in a unique position where both your research mom and your research dad are both MacArthur geniuses. So, so yes, yeah, so from a lineage you? of geniuses, which means I have a lot to live up to. Yeah, you do. Uh, I have a lot to live up to. I'm so proud of him, man. It's like, it's like, it's like it's truly, like for people out there who, who are not in this world of academic training and things like this, it's truly they're truly become part of your family you know like especially like lorenz and sally and these type of people who are just good people um you know you you're just proud to be a part of the family you know yeah. when they're when they receive an accolade or award you receive the award you know it's like not literally but you know you take pride in that like i saw that and i, I literally called yosef at like 7 30 in the morning <laughs> i did i was like yos did you see like they lorenz lorenz has got the award and we're really so we're really proud of him and congratulations Lorenz. It's really well deserved. Yeah, I get a text from from Chris early in the morning. You up? Question mark. Like, yeah. <laughs> I am now. <laughs> I'm like he's like Lorenz got the genius or I was like wow. I texted him and you know like you said he he got back to me that morning and was like thank you for your contributions this and that. I was like I got all gushy inside. I was like I know, wow. I, I know. Yeah. He's, it's really great to be a part of that lab so, and he's got a long way to go and in, 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 in a big future. So so congrats to him. Uh, let's see. We got a bunch of business here. Stem Cell Awareness Day is today. Uh, the way that when the, when you're listening to this, it's well, I'm assuming you're listening to it on the first day. It comes out on the Wednesday. Uh, it is Stem Cell Awareness Day, Awareness Day, and it's you know designed to make people aware of stem cells, and that's really uh, what the goal of the podcast is. So it's really you know nice synergy. And so what we'll do today is we will answer some questions from the audience about stem cells. We've got a, a range of different questions, and we'll, we'll choose uh, uh, you know, three or four questions. So we don't have time to, to answer them all, but uh, what we'll probably do is once um, our forum that we talked about, Yosis, in the process of being built, should be built very soon. And we'll talk about that in another episode. We could put these questions up in the forum and let people chatter about them. So today is episode 55. We're still going to do, uh, we're gonna do a mild roundup uh, and uh, we'll, we, we won't have time to do too much. We, we do have an interview today. We have Dr. David Mooney to come on from Harvard, who's going to talk about biomaterials uh, and how he you know, uses hydrogels and biomaterials to help uh, stem cells guide down their path and, and transplant into, you know, down the line for, for trans, tra- transplantation purposes and such. Uh, another uh, engineer, back, back-to-back engineer podcast, um, which is very cool. That was a, um, that was a big. Uh, I learned so much interviewing him. Uh, I, I really did not know much about biomaterials, so uh, that was really great. Just just I wanted to highlight uh, for this particular episode real quick that the ISSCR, uh, the International Society for Stem Cell Research, is starting an online campaign uh, today. So if you're on Twitter, you can find a bunch of stuff under the hashtag A Stem Cell Scientist because. One long hashtag, a stem cell scientist because, and you'll see people with videos uh, recording that why they got into stem cell science. Yeah. So you can yeah. find that on Twitter. Uh, so that's their online campaign. Yeah, thanks for bringing that up, Yos. I, I was talking to them and uh, they, they mentioned it to me and I, I literally totally forgot to, to bring this up. But it's cool because you can get on social media, you can you know, tell, tell everyone you're a stem cell scientist because... Um, you know, and I can tell you that I'm a stem cell scientist because I truly believe it will it will change medicine, and and so with that line of logic, we are the Stem Cell Podcast, the official podcast of the ISSCR um, and the International Society for Stem Cell Research. So you can do that with them on Twitter. You can also go to their website, ISSCR.org, and register for their their mini symposium, their, their international symposium. They have that uh, neural one in Dresden. Uh, so go on there and register. Uh, let's see. Go. Uh, I think on the last. In the last episode, if you are a uh, stem cell podcast, uh, you know, uh, email sign up. So if you signed up for the for the newsletter, you we asked our our guests or our, our listeners to to fill out a small survey. We're we're looking to find out more information about our audience. You know, uh, you know, age, gender. Uh, uh, are you a science professional? Basic questions that really help us tailor the show. They're very important. And so, we're if if you could please. 
um, uh, do that. I'm going to get the link because if you're not on, if you don't have to be, uh, you know, sign up for the for the email newsletter just to do the survey. By the time this podcast is over, I will give you the link. I'm going to find it. But please, if you do get, if you can go to that link, fill out the info. It really helps out the show. And we're going to pick. Uh, if you put your email address, we're going to pick three people at random and give them $50 gift cards to either uh, Amazon or Starbucks. If you're a heavy coffee drinker, that's that's some serious coffee. And if you if you're on Amazon.com. So we're going to please please help us out. Uh, it's really, really, it's really, really helpful for us in the show. Um, so uh, we'll be at the World Stem Cell Summit in December. I'm just looking down my list. So if you're going, come check us out. If you're not going, you can register. Um, World Stem Cell Summit 2015 or 26, yeah, 2015. It'll be in Atlanta, A-Town. And uh, I think we should stop talking, Yost, because we got a bunch of things to get through. So why don't we start? We're going to start with some questions, right? Is that what we're going to do? Yeah, yeah. All right, let's let's start with some questions before we get into the uh, the Thermo Fisher uh, sponsored uh, science roundup. So uh, we got a range of questions. So let me start with this because I found it to be an interesting question, and I'm not going to read the names of people because I don't know if they want them read or not. I got this question that says. How does politics, especially the upcoming presidential election, play into research for stem cells and general medical research? And is there one party in particular that's pro-stem cell or just basic research? Oh, man. There's some bait there. <laughs> uh, there is some bait there, but I, I, think, I think this is – I think it's just kind of known. If let's, 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 just, let's stick to stem cells in general. It's, that's the easier answer. I think the left, the Democratic, more progressive liberal parties – uh, are are more in favor of expanding and funding stem cell research. I think there's just a there's just been a line of evidence there. And the right or Republican and more conservative, and and some some conservatives might challenge this. Uh, are are not really um, they're not necessarily against stem cell research, but what they are is very pro life, and pro life gets associated with anti stem cell mm. uh right yo so i mean like so i don't necessarily think they think stem cells are bad i think they think abortion is bad and it's you have to be pro-life and if you are anti-abortion or pro-life you can't be for stem cells and i think that's where that's where they stand and unfortunately that logic is just wrong and uh and and, and i i think it's starting to be broken yo so i don't know if you want to comment on that well here's the rub uh and a lot of people aren't going to tell you this but this is this is the rub of stem cell research give me the rub and, baby and, rub and, it. and politics so uh a lot of the pro-life people support it in vitro fertilization because it allowed couples in the past that couldn't have children to, to have children to produce children yeah. and that's something that you know a lot of people on the right support uh is the birth of more babies and but through that process a lot of uh fertilized embryos get produced and are frozen in perpetuity and a lot of the stem cell lines that have been generated so far come from these leftover uh eggs that were fertilized right. and uh so while they're for something uh, no abortions there yeah no abortion but they're against stem cell research because they see it as destruction of the embryo and right. uh so there's sort of a cognitive dissonance there where you right. have people supporting something that's producing something that they don't support and at the end of the day uh a lot of stem cell scientists are just saying hey we want to use your leftovers don't throw them out or keep them in perpetuity frozen right. and so uh that's pretty much the rub and no yeah. one's no i don't think a lot of people realize that uh they they are supporting something that we're not generating uh, embryos to destroy, like Carly no. Fiorina said at the debate, you know, that had this fetus kicking oh, yeah, and all this right. stuff from the Planned Parenthood controversy. But at the end of the day, we want your leftovers from this process. And uh, Right, and we, we're asking the, the woman who's going through the process for her permission to use her eggs. I mean, this should be, in my opinion, this should, shouldn't be politicized. This should be up to you. If you have frozen embryos and you would like to give them to science for stem cell research, then you should go ahead and do that. And no one should be able to tell you that you can't. I think, and I think this is where the debate falls. But I think the answer really to this question is traditionally the pro-life establishment or the right and the conservative Republicans mostly 
is just like politics is. Once you get a stance on something, you can never change. Yeah. And I think that what where stem cells have gone is we don't longer need embryonic tissue to create a stem cell line. We can do it from skin. We don't even need skin. Mm. We we don't even need we don't even need the embryo anymore. Now a need is you know we like to use it and compare, but we don't really need it clinically anymore. And so I think that debate can be gone, right? Mm. We don't need it. So yeah. if it's not about abortion and it's not about embryos, then why are you against stem cells? And they'll talk about adult stem cells and all this stuff. So, but again, this is a topic for another day. But just to keep the answer short and sweet, I do think that the left Democrat uh, and more progressive liberals. Are, are more pro stem cell research, and uh, the right is is not as pro stem cell research. I don't want to say they're against it, but they're not as pro. Now, general research is a whole nother political mess. Um, I, I think that uh, that that has 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 bigger fish to fry, and that's just purely budgetary. Mm. I think that our 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 country as a whole uh, has budget problems and is not. Putting medical research uh, in part of the pie where it should. What do we get, Yo? Less than one percent of the budget for for research, medical research, something yeah, like that. Yeah, it's really small, one percent. And uh, we put a lot of money into defense and a, not a lot of money into medical research. And uh, you know, we can argue which side is is pro. You know, putting more money into into research but in the end that that whole movement requires a a, a serious shift and i don't think we're going to get there very soon i i i think that medical research funding is going to be stuck where it is for some time okay next question what do we have chris next question is arthritis okay people want to know can stem cells be used in any format for arthritis because it's very debilitating and it's a big big problem in this country now i don't really know too much about arthritis yosef and stem cell use i'll look some stuff up and, you know, we talked about these athletes like Peyton Manning and these people who are going to get stem cells injected into their knees and their joints because they have, you know, problems or pain. And they see some benefit. And I, and, and, and I think the reason why is cells, they secrete stuff, right? They spit out good stuff like mm. anti-inflammatory molecules. And it's like mimicking taking an aspirin but very localized. So if you inject cells that spit out goodies into your afflicted area it's going to have some benefit possibly the the problem is is it going to be long-term benefit and, and i think that's really the problem we don't know uh how long-term it is and the scientific evidence around this model you know putting your own cell stem cells into your body to alleviate pain uh it has up and down results and i don't think the science is truly pointing you know in a way that says it definitely works there are some non fda approved procedures that that people are doing putting cells into the body um which you know you can take for whatever it's worth uh i i feel like it's an area of medicine joseph that down the line would be fruitful i just don't think we're there yet you know yeah and i i'd encourage uh, maybe we could post it on the email uh for this episode but uh 60 minutes did a great investigation of a stem cell doctor who I, I I should say I'm doing uh, air quotes because this guy is not a stem cell doctor. They were like, what is your training? He's down in Mexico. <laughs> and he was like, oh, I'm basically self-trained. I'm self-taught. I basically... Yeah, that's what you want, a self-trained stem cell guy. Yeah, he's like, I basically read articles on the internet. And so they, they, they confronted this guy and he's promising treatments for stuff where there's no evidence that uh it could be stem cells can be used uh for so uh it's you know we'll hopefully get this out on the episode where people could look at this and just as a caveat uh, we're not there yet um and i think you know companies like okata uh that are trying to capitalize am i saying that right okata uh, so. it used to be Regenera. Used to be ACT. Uh, that's it. Advanced yep. Cellular Technology. So, uh, th- they're trying to, you know, bring this stuff into the clinic, but do it the right way, uh, through the FDA, through the right channels. But there is a lot of fraud out there. So, uh, be careful. It's a cautionary note. Uh, but for arthritis, that's, a, that's an inflammation disease. I'm not yeah. sure. Yeah. Uh, and it's autoimmune, right? Yeah. I think a lot of rheumatoid arthritis can be autoimmune. Yeah. So you, you know, the body, in other words, the body would keep, 
you know, it doesn't go away. Your body is, it's like MS kind of thing. We always ask the people on MS, well, what happens in an autoimmune disease? You might be able to put cells in and fix or alleviate symptom, but if it's always going to re-break down. So, so, so the answer to the question is, I think there, there's an area, it's a new area, it's exciting, and I think st- because stem cells can turn into any cell, you can always say stem cells could help in something, right? Yeah. I just think the state of the research is not, we're not quite there yet. So yeah. uh, next, uh, anti-aging. You knew this was uh, uh, going to come up. In fact, you know, can stem cells? What's the pro- what's the progress on anti aging with stem cells? I so at the World Stem Cell Summit a couple years ago, Joseph, I was there and uh, met uh, this uh, Peter Nygaard. He's like a, uh, a fashion magnet. He's like he's, he's in Canada. He's incredible, uh, wealthy uh, man who who created this industry uh, for fashion industries in the fashion world. And he lives in the Bahamas and he's been getting stem cell uh, treatments and transplants for anti-aging for like, for, like for years. And it claims, he claims to, it's made him young. Like it's like rejuvenated him. Now I don't know the, the specifics and he comes to the meetings to, to, to talk about this and to learn about it. I, I don't know the specifics of it at all. And I, I, I'm not, in no means uh, suggesting that you guys should go out there if you're old and I just turned 35 and should I go put stem cells into my body to feel young again? I, I, I would probably caution everybody and say probably not a good idea just yet. However, I will say that I think anti-aging in stem cells is something that's going to blow up in the future. Yes. Mm. I truly think that uh, people are going to be using stem cell technology to figure out ways to help make us look and or feel young again. And I think it's just a matter of time. What do you think? I don't know. I'm worried about this uh, sheep stem cell cream or whatever is yeah, going on out there. So uh, I, I don't think it'll be something as simple as just like a, a cream that you can rub on your face. But I don't know. Maybe I'm, I'm actually hopeful that someday people will be using stem cells to treat baldness. Uh, you know, Elaine Fuchs at Rockefeller, she's done so much work with uh, describing the follicle, yeah, yeah, the follicular stem cells, and uh, obviously Wint's involved because what can't Wint do these days? But uh, you know, maybe one day there'll be a Wint cream or something to stimulate f- uh, stem cells for hair growth. Right. Um, I don't. I you know I don't. I, I envision that for the future, but I, I'm not sure. Uh, uh, how long the timeline is for yeah. something like that. Yeah, and you know, for everybody out there who buys these creams that say that are involved in stem cells, just stem cells, I mean, stem cells are not at the top of your skin. They're at very deep in your skin. And the concept of activating a stem cell and then having it make new skin is not, is, is, a, is an amazing concept and it it is it does work you can stimulate a stem cell and it could produce better skin and hope maybe it would be more young and reduce your wrinkles but i don't know of many topicals that can actually access the stem cell so stem cells are good buzzword to sell product you know uh Mm. just like when things are bpa free or things like you know like protein right now is a big buzzword everything's got a lot of protein in it right that makes people buy it so just just don't buy some cream because it's claimed to help stem cells uh, but I do think in the future, um, this is going to be a major industry if it's not already cosmetics or, or baldness or, or you know, uh, making you look or feel younger again, stem cells. So thank you for the question. And uh, uh, I, I don't don't go out and get a stem, stem cell transplant to feel young again <laughs> right now. Um, OK, let's see. We'll try and get one more. Definitely. This is an interesting question about. And it kind of relates to some things we were talking about. This is from a, a school teacher who was asking when they'll be able to talk about stem cells in the classroom. You know, there's this, there's this, you know, they're not really allowed to talk about this topic in a lot of schools. And so they want to know, what, you know, kind of when, when the landscape will change enough where they could talk about it in schools. And this kind of makes me sad, Yos. It mm. makes me sad because if you can't talk about stem cells in schools with young kids, I mean, when the hell are you going to talk about it? I mean... The whole idea with STEM, you know, we have an engineer on the show today and science and, you know, we're losing science in this country. We always hear about it. Well, if we can't talk about one of the most exciting areas of all biomedical research and how the hell are we supposed to get children involved in it? And I think it just becomes more of this stupid naivety about stem cells that people just are afraid to talk about it. Well, I would love to it to be part of like a basic science uh, curriculum at this point to uh, talk about it, like similar to how, you know, high school students, students learn about DNA, RNA, and uh, just, just incorporate development and 
you know, the derivation of stem cells uh, and, you know, just a small little primer, right. that'd, be, that'd be great. But, uh, I, right. you know, in the U.S. school system, which obviously we're, we're focused on the U.S. right now because we can't sweet, speak to what they're doing in Sweden or uh, the U.K., but um, in this country, it's we're not there. Uh, in fact, some places like Texas, well, <laughs> the school board there, which is you know, rather conservative, uh, has been making moves to, uh, sort of remove things like, uh, evolution from, yeah, I know. so, uh, I know, it's brutal. It's a little perilous. I, 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 I know it's, it's a, it's a big rock to push when you're talking about curriculum for, especially for elementary school. Like, you know, it's a real, it's a real politicized thing. And listen, I, I, I'm not suggesting that we need to go in there and say stem cells are good. What I'm suggesting is that we should be able to teach stem cells and let the kids decide for themselves. We should teach them about what a stem cell is, how they're derived. There are embryonic and their adult stem cells. This is both what they do, and they have some really strong benefits to them. And that's it. No one has to take sides. We don't have to teach the kids that one is bad and one is good. We just have to teach them that there are these cells that are really important and uh you know, and, and let them kind of choose your path. But it, I would, the, the answer to the question is, I don't know when you'll be able to talk about stem cells and I don't know why we can't, uh, I mean, but I, well, I, I get it. It's I such a it. new field, right? I mean, 98 was the first human stem cell lines. And, uh, so it's, it's, it's a new field, right? I, and, yeah, but I mean, come on, like, think about this. No, and this is not, I'm not in no way comparing this, but I'm just giving you an event, you know, uh, September 11th happened in 2001. Isn't that in textbooks? Yeah, all right. Yeah. I mean, we, 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 we incorporate things into curriculum that our country wants us to, 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 to get brainwashed to know about terrorist attacks. But when, it, when it's coming for things like this, how long does it take to get into a textbook? I mean, maybe we talk about stem cells in textbooks. In high school, I don't know. I haven't seen a textbook. But I know in grammar school, they're not really talking about no, stem cells. I, I'm just saying, like, as a field, I mean, like, we, when you and I came into the sciences, there was no, you couldn't do a PhD in stem cell science. No, 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 no. And no, now no. that's starting to happen at places. It's, it's part, it's becoming its own, you know, something that, I see what you're at saying. the like higher, it's, it's a career option yes. now, like, specifically. So, yes. you're right. Maybe yeah. that'll be a good, that's a good point. Maybe that'll be a, uh, a shift in, 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 you know, the way it works. So, so, um, for the sake of time, how much? How much? Where, where are we 23 at? Twenty-three minutes, my friend. So. All right. So, uh, thank you, everyone, for the questions. We, uh, I, I did have one question. Maybe I can squeeze this in, Yos. Because uh, mm. all right, let me try to squeeze this in real quick. Because I, I think it's important. Someone wants to know: Is going to grad school to get my PhD uh, basically pointless? Ooh. This is so much the question. I, I and, would say, and, and I want to answer. You go, go, go ahead. No, I, I think uh, getting paid to learn is the biggest privilege you could have. And uh, my favorite word in the English dictionary when I was in grad school is stipend. And so, if you're gonna get paid to learn, which uh, is something right. unique in the sciences, to get uh, the highest academic degree you can obtain. Yeah, uh, I say do it. And sure, you'll, you know. At the worst, you'll have lost six years of your life getting educated. And, you know, the unemployment rate for PhDs, even at the height of uh, the Great Recession, was two, three percent. So right. uh, you will not you will always have a job yeah. if you, you know, with that. I wouldn't say always, but you know what I'm saying? You're, you, I agree with you, Joseph. The answer to your question is no, it's not. If you know, It's not just because the academic appointments, assistant professor positions are dwindling does not mean that. There are not plenty of things for you to do with a PhD in science. Right. And we had Harold Varmus come on and say the same thing. I think, I think we have a one-track mind with getting a PhD, and we think the only thing coming out of it is your own lab. And it's a great privilege to run your own research program, but, you know, it ain't all roses either. And there are plenty of other things to do. And like Yosef said, if you can get paid, think about that. You're getting paid to get a PhD, to learn, to think uh, I don't see any downside to that. So I would encourage everybody out there, don't be discouraged. Uh, if you really have the drive, because it takes, takes, it ain't easy. Yeah, uh, you I, know, I know some people are like, yeah, you know, I didn't get into med school, so I'm going to go get my PhD. Like it's like, you know, the next, the next below option. It ain't, it ain't all, it ain't cake. It's a difficult road to walk. You got to be, you got to have endurance. 
but it's it's an honor, and uh, and I think it's not fr- fruitless. I think you should you should go for it. Okay. Uh, so that being said, let's uh, move to a mini roundup. All right, we're going to do a mini mini roundup sponsored by Thermo Fisher, and um, uh, you know, go to stemcellpodcast.com, By the way, which just has a new little kind of look to our website. Uh, you can go to stemcellpodcast.com, You can click on the banner. Uh, Ther- Thermo is really trying to uh, push out their twenty four hour stem cell event. It's on December third, where they say the day that the day that wor- the world revolves around stem cells. You're going to hear all these different talks the entire day. So go to stemcellpodcast.com, Click on the banner. Learn more about twenty four hours of stem cells. Who doesn't want twenty four hours of stem cells? So let's. Uh, all right, yo. So let's do this quick. Let's do a little. Okay. Okay, mini, mini. I, I just got a couple of things. Uh, Mars, there's water evidence, Dude. evidence for water on Mars. I heard Neil deGrasse Tyson uh, <laughs> talking about this on yeah. Mars, and he's just not with his crazy vest, he's and a, it was yeah. it was cool. <laughs> he's real, a little giddy over cool. there. So it's it's this briny percolate water. It's like it's almost like jet fuel, but there's evidence that it's uh, coming out. Uh, I guess they haven't seen it. Uh, uh, directly, but the spectral evidence is that it's there, and um, it comes out a uh, small time, uh, small period of the year, and uh, they 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 haven't actually found the the direct evidence, but there's indirect evidence uh, through the spectral uh, data that Mars rover has gathered, and the pictures are pretty convincing that something that looks like water is seeping from under the surface, uh, so. Uh, it's not ice water, but actual water, uh, and it's it's pretty uh, pretty exciting. So um, I'll that's my quick announcement, and then finally, just real quick, there was um, work presented at the meeting of uh, the National Academy of Sciences on human gene editing. Uh, geneticist George Church, who we've mentioned before, he's yep. like trying to bring out back the woolly mammoth and doing all this crazy stuff. Um, at Harvard, and uh, he announced that he and colleagues had used CRISPR gene editing technology to inactivate 62 porcine or pig uh, endo- endogenous retroviruses or pervs. I love that that name. Pervs. Uh, yeah. So in the pig embryos, so these viruses are embedded in all pig genomes and cannot be treated or neutralized. So it's feared that they could cause disease in human transplant recipients. So Church's group also modified more than 20 genes in a separate set of embryos, including genes encoding proteins that sit on the surface of pig cells that are known to trigger human immune system responses or cause blood uh, clotting. So he declined to reveal the exact genes, however, as as the work is unpublished. But uh, eventually, the idea is that these pigs will be intended for organ transplants, uh, will have deletions in these PERVs and these immune system uh, causing genes. Because, you know, the human heart is, uh, you know, the pig heart is really, it's almost identical to a human heart. So the idea of of uh, using the pig for transplantation or generation of things like dopamine neurons or whatever uh, to to generate a pig that can be used to generate uh, organs or tissue for transplantation is pretty exciting. So I just thought I'd highlight that as a pretty exciting development in the uh, world of both stem cells and uh, transplantation. Yeah, dude. Very, very cool. Yeah, very so awesome. We'll um, see when that comes out as a published peer review uh, paper. So, uh, look out for that. Um, let me just do a couple. There was the report that researchers grow kidneys and intestines from stem cells. I saw this, and uh, these are two teams of researchers have grown these rudimentary organs from stem cells. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's like a primitive kidney in the beginning of an intestine. Um, and so, really, this show, you know, these announcements show the progress we're making and being able to create these organs. And they're like, well, I'm just going to really focus on the kidney uh, paper. This is uh, Melissa Little, Minoru Takasato, and their colleagues at Murdoch Children's Research Institute of Parkville, Australia. They created these kidney organoids from an, an induced pluripotent stem cell or IPS cell. There's a, there's a YouTube video, Yos, that's crazy that, like, you can watch a time lapse of these organoids forming and they look like little kidneys it's pretty crazy um and so i'm just gonna leave it at that i mean just just that's all you need to know that a group uh was able to create a rudimentary kidney uh organoid in culture and i you that has obvious uh impl- you know implications for disease so we'll put that up and then this was in cell stem cell just came out it's uh 
uh, aged, had a aged neurons. You know, it, it, one of the problems with if you're looking for neurodegenerative disease that occurs in you know older people, when we model it in the dish, um, you know, when you model a dish from embryos, from embryonic stem cells or these young cells, you have to age them in the dish, and we don't want to want to wait 65 years for them to get sick. So how do you best create neurons and age them? This is something, you know, work Lorenz Studer's been doing and people have been doing. And this is out of the lab of Fred Rusty Gage, and he, he shows that um, when you derive cells, neurons from these embryonic-like cells, they, you know, they reset. They're, they're not old anymore. You know, you take it from a skin cell, which isn't from a, let's say I take a skin cell from a 65-year-old patient. I make an IPS cell. It resets. Now it becomes very embryonic, and then I have to walk it all the way down that path. So what they show is that if if you do use direct conversion, yo, so you take skin and go directly to neurons, that they retain the age. So uh, if you're looking for a way to make older cells, uh, this might be a new or a new and better way uh, to do such. And uh, this is in Cell Stem Cell October eighth issue. So we'll put the link up. Uh, the title is "Directly Reprogram Human Neurons Retain Aging." signatures I, I kind of abbreviated that so uh be sure to check that out so i'll i'll just stop there because we, we we have an interview to do and we have a, a busy show so thank you for everyone for submitting your questions um if we didn't answer them it's just because we didn't have time and again we'll put them up on the forum when that's coming out and we'll, we'll be able to answer your questions on a more daily basis in the future which we're really looking forward to so let us now move uh you got anything else yos we should nope, move to the interview for me yeah let's all get right to so let's interview. move to the interview a uh, portion of the Stem Cell Podcast, which is sponsored by Stem Cell Technologies, is a good segue because what they're now developing is a new media for neurons that is created really by Rusty and his group. Um, and so uh, this this is a new uh, media. One of the one of the issues, I guess, is an issue when you're growing neurons in a dish is they have to be active, right? They have to be able to signal, and in a dish, you have to best mimic. Uh, the environment that's going to be conducive for them to be active. So stem cell technology is developing a new product called Brain Fizz, P-H-Y-S, neuronal medium. Uh, and it's, these, this media will uh, uh, help neurons become more synaptically active and be more physiological like how they exist in vivo. So for more information, go to stemcell.com slash active neurons, uh, or you can go to stemcellpodcast.com and click on the banner uh, and check out that new media. So, all right, let's bring, uh, let's bring David on. Okay, so this is, uh, we are now continuing our, I guess, our engineering theme here on the Stem Cell Podcast. This is going to be, uh, the back-to-back interviews, uh, uh, in this engine, theme of engineering, which was not planned, but very interesting for Yosef and I, and I'm sure for the listeners. And one of the things that makes stem cells so unique, I, I like to think is what I tell people, is that they, like human beings, have this remarkable ability to choose. And so they have this decision to make, and that decision ultimately will lead to either a population of more stem cells or more differentiated cell types like neurons or heart cells, liver cells. And so we know that those decisions, just like us, are influenced by these different signals in the environment. Okay, And so our guest for today's episode, Dr. David Mooney, studies the mechanisms by which you know chemical or mechanical signals uh, are sensed by cells and alter, alter their function. And then he's going to tell us how he can utilize these signals to, to, to kind of help out uh, the field of regenerative medicine and, and, and other areas of, of science. So Dr. Mooney is the Pincus Family Professor of Bioengineering at the Harvard School of Engineering and Applied Sciences. He is also a founding uh, core faculty member at the Wies Institute for Biologically Inspired Engineering at Harvard University. Uh, he earned his uh, Bachelor's of Science in Chemical Engineering from the University of Wisconsin-Madison and his Ph.D. in Chemical Engineering from the Massachusetts Institute of Technology. Uh, Dr. David Mooney, welcome to the one and only Stem Cell Podcast. Uh, my pleasure to be here. So please uh, introduce yourself uh, to the audience uh, and, and ourselves. Give us some, some background into your career uh, and kind of, you know, as you got to your appointment now at Harvard, and then we can kind of transition to what the lab is studying now, and we'll walk that into the uh, the, the paper and nature materials. Okay. So I... Uh was uh, kind of along the lines of your brief background. I was on my way to being, I think, a pretty classic chemical engineer. I was working for Dow Chemical Corporation and ended up having an opportunity to work on a scale-up of a drug molecule that they are making at that point in time, and that's what really fueled my interest in bio and uh, 
trying to direct my efforts towards uh, medically related activities instead of kind of classic uh, chemistry. And I was fortunate enough when I decided to go for a PhD at MIT that I got engaged in the very early days of tissue engineering field. Uh, Bob Langer and Joseph Acanti were just getting um, the idea of using cell transplantation on biomaterials to create structures um, underway. And uh, so I got engaged in that level of research. And my interest in stem cells really came about because it became clear very quickly in the tissue engineering field that cells were going to be obviously a key player and that the cell uh, choices uh, and possibilities at that time, which was in the uh, late 90s, were really tremendously limiting the field. And so that fueled my interest in stem cells as a source of this uh, raw material to try to promote regeneration of tissues and organs. Great. And Uh-oh. so now, so, sorry, Yos. So now this is the approach in, in the laboratory. And for, um, you know, can you just take us into the lab a bit and, and tell, I know there's probably a lot of different, you know, focuses or foci. So just can you give us a little glimpse into the lab and uh, the kind of technology you're, you, you're using there to, to kind of make this happen? Yeah, so we focus on the, as you mentioned in your intro, on the environment part of uh, the equation. And in particular, we focus on developing materials uh, that will contact stem cells and give stem cells information or cues to try to direct these uh, fate decisions and also impact things like the proliferation of the cells, the migration of the cells. And so we're very interested in how we can design materials that, ultimately function in the body to regulate stem cell behavior. And of course, as part of that, we do quite a bit of work uh, in cell culture as well to first of all uh, demonstrate that the materials function the, uh, in, in the manner in which we have designed them and also explore mechanistically uh, you know, some of the interactions. But at the end of the day, what we want to do is develop biomaterials that can either carry stem cells into the human body and direct their behavior or that can be placed in the body by themselves and direct the behavior of cells that they come in contact with. So I have to say, like, the first time I got uh, involved with an extracellular matrix uh, with stem cells was uh, this teratoma formation uh, assay where you inject uh, stem cells into uh, an animal to to show that they, uh, you know, are can generate all the layers through. Uh, and this was done by using st- putting stem cells in with uh, matrix gel, and that would sort of create like an environment where you would get this bolus of a of a teratoma. And so now it's moving on to these hydrogels. And can you explain to the audience what a hydrogel is? Because uh, I'm looking at the uh, first figure in your Nature Materials um, article, and it looks like this. Uh, piece of swiss cheese almost um <laughs> it's got like little holes in it come uh, on that's exactly what it is we yeah, don't yeah. need any more explanations so so, so <laughs> yes why don't, we, why don't we just back up and uh talk about what is a hydrogel okay so a hydrogel is actually very simple it's a, a polymer network that is swollen with water and if you think about we have hydrogels um uh much of the excellent matrix forms of hydrogel. When you think about lamin-enriched gels, you think about collagen-rich extracellular matrices, very frequently they are forming a hydrogel. So it's this network of polymers, in this case natural polymers, um, though in our case it may be synthetic instead, that are have a substantial quantity of water that's absorbed into that network. So, you know, the word hydrogel applies to many things around us. You know, the contact lens, many of us wear hydrogels. Mm. Much of the food we eat is in a hydrogel form, and a lot of the extracellular matrix is in the physical form of a hydrogel. Mm. The, the matrix gel that you mentioned a moment ago, uh, that's also a hydrogel. Wow. So uh, how big is this hydrogel? I mean, right here it looks like, you know, a size of a nickel or something. But yes. it, yeah. it, it is. Okay. All right. So yes. well, we can make them any size that we would like. Um, these particular hydrogels were about that size. It makes a convenient size for doing both in vitro studies and then going to the defect uh, models that we're looking at in, in animals with these studies. Um, so you can make them pretty much any size. The other thing I should say is, you know, you mentioned, um, uh, you know, Swiss cheese. So what makes these hydrogels different than many other hydrogels is these hydrogels are purposely constructed. So they start out more or less monolithic, so they're you know the same um, throughout the volume. 
but then very rapidly a uh, pores will form that correspond to the holes in the Swiss cheese you're referring to. So these start out actually looking like just one structure, but then over time, because we place beads that degrade very rapidly, those degrade and leave channels or pores uh, that allow for cell trafficking, and that's the the Swiss cheese part of it that you mentioned. Uh-huh. And okay. and then uh, do you just uh, pl- coat the, you know put them in media and then add stem cells and they sort of hone in, or are you physically injecting the stem cells into the hydrogel? Yeah. So in this case, we're putting the cells inside the hydrogel. So the hydrogel actually has two components. There is what we call kind of the bulk hydrogel, kind of the cheese part of the Swiss cheese. And before we actually solidify that, we mix uh, stem cells, uh, combine them with the polymer in when it's uh, dissolved. So this is all in the liquid state. So we can very easily mix the cells in. And then we add um, preformed beads of another type of hydrogel. And so these are you know, beads, like say 100, 200 microns in size. And we mix those all together. And then we induce gelation of the part of the gel that has the cells in it. And, and so then we have cells in this hydrogel surrounding all these beads that are then going to dissolve. And the, this uh, polymer is uh, it's the this polylactide uh, coat. Is that is that what it is, or what's what's it actually made out of? Uh, you said water, yeah. but uh, what 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 other materials are in there? Yeah. So in this case, we're actually using a uh, a polymer called alginate. Um, well, it's commonly called alginate. It's actually derived from seaweed. And the reason we like to use this is that it's a polysaccharide, so it mimics some of the uh, the gag types of molecules that are found in the extracellular matrix of our tissues, and it has a very nice feature in that it's freely soluble in water, mm. uh, but if you add calcium, it will form uh, cross-links between the polymer strands and form a gel then that entraps the cells. Mm. So it's a really gentle way of encapsulating cells. Mm. So let let me let me just take a step back for a second and kind of frame the the problem that this Swiss cheese I like that we keep doing this uh, hydrogel type uh, you know and what the paper was addressing it hopes to address and so uh, Joseph knows this very well and I think a lot of people who do these experiments transplantation experiments can can attest to this so for the for the lay audience possibly out there one of the main hopefully goals of stem cells is that we can produce a cell type that's needed. So Parkinson's disease, let's just say we need a certain type of neuron, we can make it, but then we have to, you know, we want to put that back into the patients. We want to transplant that back into the patient. So what we know is that 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 is a major, it still has lots of problems when you put these cells and graft them or transplant them in, you get a lot of cell death. So there's a, there's a survival problem there. Um, um, you know, being able to, you know, it's kind of traumatic for the cell to kind of go through all that, rip it off the dish, put it through a, a needle, and then it goes into this environment. So there's a lot of things going on. And so um, I would imagine that this technique uh, is is aimed at trying to help these cells better survive and integrate. Is that correct? Correct, yeah. So the when you put the cells inside this gel, so it's more or less the nail becomes surrounded by this soft, protective uh, substance, and that helps the cells to survive when you first place them in the body. Because as you mentioned, the environment can be quite harsh, and it also can help them survive the, the transit through the needle. And then once the cells are in the body, then this gel is designed such that it actually controls uh, the decision-making of the cell and directs the cells down a particular pathway we would like the cells to go down. And then because of this um, Swiss cheese nature to it in these holes or pores that open up within the gel, the cells can readily leave the gel and crawl into the surrounding tissue and participate in its regeneration. So I'm a little confused. Uh, with uh, So d- I thought at, you were doing this in vitro uh putting the cells into this nickel size uh, hydrogel and then, uh, I don't know, I guess implanting them. So are, are, are there two different uh, assays here or like one where you inject it into a hydrogel in an animal or is it in vitro injecting, uh, developing the cells in the hydrogel and then extracting them and then placing it in the animal? Can, can you clear that up? Yes. So these uh, materials... Uh, we can actually do either one of the things that you described, and we've actually demonstrated both here, that we can mix everything together, 
And before the material starts to gel, before the crosslinks start to form between the polymer chains, we can inject it via needle and syringe um, into the body. So it has a very minimally invasive means of delivering it. I see. We, we can, if we would prefer, and let's say if we have a defined size and shape we'd like this new tissue to, or this gel to take, we can instead uh, preform it outside the body and then either allow the, the cells to stay within that gel for a period of time um, or immediately take it and implant it into the body. So we can use these gels either way. So uh, I guess uh, so, the, the major assay was for bone formation, correct? So you were trying to make osteoblasts, correct? Correct, yes. Uh, so you do that in vitro. Uh, so you prime the cells beforehand and then uh, place them into a solution that would be, uh, sort of mold into a hydrogel in vivo. And then you find that that implants into the body better than just free floating cells without any matrix. Yeah, so we, uh, we do this in vivo. Now, I should mention, so we don't actually try to direct the cells down an osteoblast path before we put them in the gel. The gel itself actually provides the cues, in this case, largely because of its stiffness or mechanical properties. So we take the cells, we put them inside the gel, and then we inject these gels actually into a, a defect in the uh, a cranial defect, so a defect in the skull, and then the... A really a key feature here is that there's been a lot of work in the past that has shown that stem cells respond to the mechanical properties of the substrate they're adherent to. But that work has all been in vitro. And what we show here is that when we transplant the cells in these gels, if we tune the stiffness of the gel appropriately, we can direct these cells to much more effectively reform or regenerate bone tissue. So that that this is a fascinating idea, yeah. and I I know that you know Yosef's done some work with trying to identify the the correct stage of cell to transplant for optimum survival, and you know a lot of that involves in the dish guiding it to get it to a certain point. But here it sounds like you can put this ni- more naive pro- progenitor stem cell like cell in this and then kind of just kind of let it go and by the nature of this Swiss cheese or this hydrogel it will you know force its decision and path in the way that you want it to go which is incredible and I, I think for the for the listener and for maybe for myself as well this idea of just just on mechanical stimulation alone is is pretty cool so there is there a mixture of mechanical and chemical or what's driving this fate choice is purely a mechanical stimuli yeah, so it's it's a to a certain extent a combination as you mentioned in that. So we um, control the stiffness of the gels, but for the cells to actually sense the stiffness, they actually have to be able to adhere. So we provide um, small peptides that will bind to receptors on the cells called integrins, and by being able to then attach to the gel through these small peptides, when they pull on the gel, because they're adherent to it, they then sense the mechanical properties and respond to the mechanical properties. So if we had a a gel that was stiff or not stiff, but the cells couldn't actually attach to it or pull on it, they wouldn't know whether it's stiff Mm -hmm. or soft. So you do have to have some chemistry there for the cells to be able to bind. And once they do, they can then probe and respond to the stiffness. I'm curious, how long does it take uh, for one of these solutions uh, that, so say, I mean, this is my rudimentary sort of visualization of what's going on. So say you have just uh, plain generic, are, are these mouse or human stem cells? Uh, these ones, uh, actually, there was some of the studies were done with mouse and some with human. Okay, so say you have human stem cells on a dish, and you dissociate the cells and place them into one of these matrices. Um, how long does it take and, and uh, inject it? Say into you were doing cranial injections. Is that correct? Yes. So yes, into a cranial defect. Okay. So how how long does it take for this gel to stiffen up? Does it take a, a minute, hours, days? Okay, yeah, so that's something that you can actually control pretty readily by uh, how we formulate the gel and how we cross-link it, but it typically we, we aim for a few minutes so that you have some working time. If it gels too quickly, then uh, you'd more or less kind of have it stuck in your syringe potentially, yeah, yeah. and if it goes too slowly, then you'd be injecting it, and then it would just kind of, you know, 
flow everywhere and you lose it. So we purposely design it so it has gives enough working time, but then will solidify quickly enough that it will stay where you put it. Wow, this is fascinating. And does it dissolve over over time, or does it stay stiff? And yes, so you can design it to do either one. In this particular case, we designed it so it actually would stay in place for a relatively long period of time uh, because we didn't want to have the additional complexity and variability of the change in mechanical properties over time. We wanted the mechanical properties to stay constant um, so we could really say that those properties were actually important to the net result. But uh, as you look down the road, if you're going to use this clinically, you would actually want the gel to degrade over time. So we'd actually make it out of a material. Uh, we'd chemically modify the polymer so it would degrade over a time frame, let's say, of several weeks. Mm. It, I'm, tell me a little bit about what's known in terms of in, in, in maybe in the stem cell world or progenitor cells that have this ability to choose and decide fate. What's known about the mechanical influence on gene, you know, gene expression? I mean, does it? I'm 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 trying to understand if the cell, you know, like I know that if someone was pushing on me and really pushing on my arm hard enough or soft, depending on how hard I was being pushed, I would feel pain or not or a lesser extent. Now, cells we know are very contact dependent. They like to be around their neighbors. They like to have these tight junctions. And when you're, I remember there was a. Um, yeah, even a paper that I forget it was uh, was out of Berkeley maybe where they were looking at mechanical and reprogramming efficiencies. You know, if you squeeze the cells, they're able to reprogram a little bit better. So, so the mechanical from the outside in can actually go in and influence gene expression, and in theory, kind of contribute to fate that way. Is that the idea? Yeah. Or so one there, of the ideas, I should say. Yeah. So the the cells can indeed sense um, these mechanical properties, and you can also, as you're mentioning apply external uh, mechanical loads. You could push or pull on the cell. In this case, what we're depending on is a cell just sensing the mechanics and how stiff its environment is, but you could also apply a physical stress, as you're indicating. And in this case, for our findings, it starts with the integrins. So it starts with the adhesion of the cells to the material, as I mentioned earlier. And when a cell is adhere, it's not just a passive you know, chemical interaction. Uh, the cells will actively start to pull on whatever they're adherent to, and they then respond based on whether or not the, the material they're attached to is very stiff and rigid or whether it's very flexible. And the response of uh, a stem cell will also depend on the identity of that stem cell, and that is clear that different cells probably sure. have distinct ranges of stiffness that they respond to. Sure. Is- oh. Is this been adapted to in vitro systems where you can plate down, let's say, a hydrogel or something, and you're able to plate your human stem cells on them and then just kind of walk away and end up with, let's say, I don't know, neural lineage? You know, has anyone kind of uh, taken this technology, not for in vivo application, but more as a as a reagent for stem culturists who want a less, uh, you know, a less tedious way of guiding their cells down a cell fate path? Yeah, there, there's a tremendous amount of research underway and a lot of really interesting papers that have been published along these lines. And part of it is to guide the fate of the cells, as you're mentioning. Other aspects of it, for example, have studied how the stiffness of the substrate, let's say, maintains the stemness. So Helen Blau's lab published a paper now about a year or so ago where they showed that certain stiffness of the substrates was very important to maintaining the stemness of satellite cells uh, derived from the stem cells derived from muscle tissue. So the the concept that the you know mechanical properties of this tissue culture dish uh, being important, I think, is uh, something that's really percolating through the whole stem cell field, and people are really beginning to appreciate that. You know, we may not want to just simply put things on tissue culture plastic and try to kind of overwhelm it with chemical signals. Uh, and many times, we may you may be desiring a function that the stiffness of the plastic is you know fighting against you. Um, so instead of doing that, why not try to get it to work for you? I'm I'm so fascinated by biomaterials, and I think. You know, this is definitely a burgeoning field. I think that's what we're going to actually name this episode, biomaterials. But I'm I'm just curious. So two questions. Do you produce these hydrogels in the lab? Is that like a separate wing of the lab or do you order them? Uh, I mean, and how do you form like that nickel size shape? Do you just put the yep. solution in a in a little holder? Like <laughs> yeah. Like a jello yep. mold? 
Yes. Yeah, exactly. So if we want to define uh, size and shape, uh, then we cast into molds. Okay. Um, and so then we, you know, we design the mold and we'll oftentimes make molds ourselves. For the gels themselves, we make the gels. Um, very frequently, we will start with polymers that are commercially available. Um, and then we may chemically modify them. For example, we might add cell adhesion, peptides. Uh, we might modify it to change, you know, whether it degrades or not, as we talked about earlier. Um, and then we will go ahead and uh, utilize either existing kind of standard chemistries or develop new chemistries to cause these things to gel and form the hydrogel from the individual polymer strands. So uh, I guess, well, I, I want to get to the futuristic question, like where do you see this going? I I mean, 3D printing and all that stuff. But I'm, I just want to, before we move to that, I'm just fascinated. Do you guys change the media from a stem cell media to this uh, integrin media? Because I, I imagine injecting these, you know, pluripotent cells into an animal and just going off of integrins and mechanical properties, it, some cells would escape and form, say, a tumor or something like that. Yeah. Is, is it really uh, just that simple or do you change the media to a differentiation media? Okay. Yeah, so the, the experiments that we're showing here with mesenchymal stem cells that have a much more limited mm. uh, you know, range of fates yeah. than, let's say, uh, an Embryonic. ESL might. Yeah. So there it's uh, not as significant of a concern as certainly as you go to cells that have more and more capacity, um, you're going to want to have you know more levels of control. Mm. And so, you know, along the lines of what you're describing, if we're going to repeat the same study with you know an IPS or an ES-derived cell population, we would want to either a ensure that every cell in that population was appropriately differentiated to a stage at which we um, had reduced you know, the, the danger, the concerns that you mentioned, or B, we'd want to probably build in multiple levels of signaling to ensure that the cells, that each and every cell uh, that we transplanted would be uh, appropriately safeguarded in terms of its fate. So, it, you know, the level, the number of levels of instruction and kind of safety you'd need to build into it would really depend on the starting cell population you're interested in using. Mm. Chris, do you have any other questions before we well, move on? Yeah, just quickly. I mean, just for people out there that are thinking, yo, these gels going into the body, it's not necessarily like that. I mean, these things have been around, right? These are some of these are their FDA approved, correct? This is not something that's uh, bad for humans to go in their body. I mean, I'm just clearing yes. that off for people that are thinking, oh man, this sounds like this Swiss cheese gel that's going to be put <laughs> into my body, but it's, it's, it's not that yeah, way. The, correct. Yeah, so like the, the base material we're using here, um, it's uh, widely used as a actually as a food additive. We Every single day we're, we're eating. Uh, probably all of us have some of it in our diet. It's been widely used in the pharmaceutical industry as an excipient um, in various types of tablet formation, um, it's been used experimentally for many cell therapies and has not uh, demonstrated any danger. And actually, it's a, a part of a number of current medical therapies that are introduced into the body, medical devices. So there is a long track record of use in the human body of the base polymer we're using here. And it does seem to be a safe, um, compatible, and very well-tolerated material. I'm curious. What am I eating? <laughs> is it like Skittles or something? <laughs> <laughs> so... Uh, uh, alginate actually is used very frequently as an emulsifying agent and a thickener. Mm. So uh, a lot of beer will actually use it. So it stabilizes the foam. You know, when we pour your beer, you like to have that foam uh, stick around for a little bit. Wow. Um, so it will oftentimes be a stabilizer for that foam. Things like uh, frostings and cake. And puddings, uh, where you want the pudding to be a little bit thicker, or you want the cake frosting like to ice cream, right? Is it an ice yeah, cream? Yeah, ice cream, and so it's it's all over the place. Wow, hydrogel beer. There's a market. It might even be in cheese, yo. So you, there's your connection to <laughs> the Swiss, the Swiss cheese. So so moving on, I just want to uh, address because I remember seeing a study of uh, some kids who had like a trachea disorder. We covered it on the science roundup, and uh, they they had like a 3D printed trachea replacement for these kids, and uh, it dissolved over time uh, so that they were able to develop on their own. But I think they injected some some sort of stem cell-derived uh, uh, population to help. Uh, actually, I don't think they injected cells, but it was a printed tra uh, yes. material. Yeah, some, probably, some work from University of Michigan. Probably. There's been several different groups that have 
pursued this and published some interesting papers. I think the one you're referring to was, a, I believe, a group from Michigan. And, yeah, they had created a stent out of um, a very different type of polymer than what we're using. So they weren't using hydrogels. Hydrogels tend to be, not always, but tend to be fairly weak. Um, and obviously for the trachea, you need it to maintain um, the structure and to keep the airway open. So they're using a different kind of polymer um, that's much more rigid. Um, but they demonstrated that they could indeed maintain the airway and over time uh, create conditions that were amenable to regeneration of the tissue. So a very exciting uh, line of research there as well. So I guess my overall question is, because uh, normally we ask a where's the beef question for all of stem cell science, but I, I really want to uh, push you on where this, uh, where are hydrogels going in the future? Where do you see this sort of application with stem cells in the future? So it's going to be, I think, pretty broad. There's going to be a number of different applications. So, you know, if we think about mesenchymal stem cell therapies, which are now, you know, hundreds of trials that are currently underway uh, in the United States today with that cell population that, you know, it's fairly uh, not as highly defined of a population. And those cells right now are usually delivered uh, just in solution form. I think in the future, what you're going to see is many of those cell therapies will instead use a hydrogel coating to control the fate of those cells as we're talking about here today. So I think that's going to be a, a clear area. A lot of the work, let's say, with iPS cells where people are deriving um, uh, beta cells and trying to develop treatments for type 1 diabetes, uh, there's a lot of data that suggests that placing those cells in a hydrogel can be a very effective way of maintaining the function and directing the fate of those cells. So I see that as being another very clear area mm. in the kind of more immediate future. And then beyond that, you know, I, I'm quite confident that in many, not all, but in many situations, you're going to want to use a biomaterial like a hydrogel when you deliver you know, stem cells, as you mentioned earlier, to help the cells survive, to guide their function, and to help make the approach more practical and effective. Excellent. Excellent. Uh, Chris, do you have any questions before uh, we move on? I have lots of questions, but I don't think we'll have the time. So we should yeah, just, yeah. Uh, so, so, so finally, uh, do you have any funny story, a funny story you'd like to share with our audience? Um, so, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll try. I'm not sure how funny it is, but it's uh, a little embarrassing maybe. So, um, <laughs> Those are the best ones. I'm sorry. Okay. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I often uh, dress pretty casually, um, and so I'm at work one morning uh, wearing jeans that are probably a little bit tattered and, a, and an old T-shirt, and about 11.30, so just a few minutes from now, I guess, um, I looked at my calendar and realized that I'm supposed to have lunch with the university president. <laughs> so um, not looking the role. So, I, you know, I panicked a little bit. Uh, I had not met her before, so uh, it was first time meeting, and uh, there's no time to go to the store or buy any clothes. Uh, I just didn't have the time, but then I got some inspiration. So I walk into my lab, and I start looking really closely at the PhD students and postdocs, <laughs> looking for someone you know about my size who dressed <laughs> nicely, and I, uh, I find, uh, find a good match, and um, he's looking at me pretty funny. Because I was standing there really looking him up and down for about a minute before I walked up to him. And then I walk up to him and I say, I need his clothes. <laughs> so we go into a men's room and trade clothes. Oh, uh, man. I, I go off to lunch and th that all goes well. You know, he's stuck wearing my clothes for an hour. Um, and, you know, I, I thanked him afterwards, you know, really profusely. I was really grateful because it really helped me out a lot. Um, but I did notice that after that, he never tended to wear nice clothes to work again. <laughs> Oh man, that's really funny, that Joseph. I'm just imagining Lorenz Studer coming <laughs> yeah, yeah. up to me and saying, "I need your clothes. Chris, I need your clothes." <laughs> He's like, "Was it what?" Oh man, that is the very funny. I always have the um. If it, well, this was a different story. I don't ever meet with presidents of universities like this. But if I realize that, I always just if I don't have to go out, I grab the lab coat and kind of yes. put it on and button it, and then at least at least that takes the edge off a bit but in your situation you were you were probably going out to lunch and the lab code out to lunch is probably not a good look either yeah that went to work for us um, <laughs> well um thank you so much uh, for taking the time out of your busy schedule to tell us about um the lab its technologies and how it will help in the future uh stem cell technologies for everybody out there uh, he is uh, Dr. Mooney, and you can check more of his research out. You can go to mooneylab.seas.harvard.edu or just Google his name, and it'll pop up and learn more about the lab publications and what's going on uh, at, at the uh, School of Engineering there at Harvard. Uh, again, thank you so much for coming on and taking the time. I really appreciate it. 
My pleasure. Take care. Okay, Bye. have a good day. Yep. Bye-bye. Thank you. So there you go. Biomaterials. Yeah, uh, man. I learned a lot. Yeah. I really that, did. That was informative for sure. Um, I want to use me some hydrogels or Swiss cheese, as you called it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was funny. So, uh, yeah. All right. So we're going to rant. Yosef gave me his laundry list of hate. And, uh, <laughs> of course, we're settled on one that involves a bathroom. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's, I guess it's toilet humor. But, um, actually, this is something that goes across uh, the sexes because I this was brought up to me by uh, some some ladies that I know, they were saying uh, how these automatic flush toilets when they're in the bathroom that they they just they weren't able to to get it to recognize that they were there and they had to do this like complicated method to to flash in front of the the, the sensor to get it to actually flush. And they were saying, you know, they they hate the fact when uh, some of these toilets flush, uh, I guess, while at the wrong time and they'll do it often and not like the way it was designed to be. So I feel like this is one of those things that's been over engineered where, uh, yeah, they, it's like, it's got too smart yeah, for you. Too like, smart. you know, like I, I think there's a couple things I can do. I, I, I can flush a toilet bowl when I'm done. <laughs> um, now what's cool. The new technology is you don't have to touch it. You just put your hand over it. Like there's a top, you wave your hand over it and then it flushes that I like, yeah. but this, Red light thing <laughs> that like tells me that I'm done uh, is not cool because yeah. when I'm sitting on the bowl, I don't want to be like getting sprayed with water. It's just <laughs> not fun. And you're right. For the ladies out there, I don't know how you guys do that because you got to sit uh, like all the time. So, you know, for us and I have a three-year-old who's now like just potty trained. Uh-huh. You want to put a toddler on one of those things, dude? They're squirming all around. Then it's flushing, and they want to know why, you <laughs> yeah, know, and yeah. the water's flying out. It's just, it's, it's, a, it's a good case of overthinking what, you know, like I, I get it. Is it just to make sure people flush? That's what it is, right? You just want to make sure people flush. Yeah, yeah, I guess. Um, Can we have a time delay or something? Because the thing keeps reflushing. That's the other thing. It could trip if you trip it once. It'll just keep tripping over and over and over and over again. Yeah, I've had I've had those, and I've just been like, wow, what a waste of water here. You got to wonder how many gallons. It's probably millions of gallons on a daily basis that that get wasted by some of these automatic sensor toilets that just are not working correctly. So uh, I guess I I feel like weird. It's like potty humor, but it's actually something that you know I realize that it's not just me. <laughs> That this happens to almost everyone. No, right? dude, it's yeah. not just you. Yeah, so it happens to everybody, and it's got to stop. So let's <laughs> let's bring an end to the uh, to the automatic flush. Um, yeah. Well, all right. Well, so you know, after all the engineering, you know, back to back episodes, uh, maybe we could get some engineers to. Yeah, really. Can we make a hydrogel this? for flushing or something <laughs> like that? Who knows? Yeah, um, so. All right. So this was uh, Stem Cell Awareness Day, episode fifty-five. Uh, thanks for all the participation. And uh, go on the Twitter and participate in the uh, hashtag a stem cell scientist because and tell everybody, uh, you know, why you're a stem cell scientist. So that wraps up 55. Yos, I will uh, see you on uh, 56, man. Take care. Take care.